Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. I'm your life coach, Jessica Dumas. I'm a professional speaker and coach who empowers women everywhere to use their voice to take up space and change the world. My goal is to help you speak with clarity and confidence while giving you practical guidance and tools by sharing real life experiences of overcoming. So turn up the volume and grab a pen. You're going to want to write this down. Jessica Dumas Coaching and Training and the Confidence and Communication Podcast is overflowing with appreciation to our first podcast sponsor, The Johnston Group, Inc. The Johnston Group provides employee benefits to more than 30,000 businesses across Canada. Thank you so much for supporting my vision and investing in the podcast. Please accept my extreme gratitude, which will help get the message of self-love, healing, and growth out to a greater audience. Okay. Great. So we'll get started. So thanks, Taylor. Thanks so much for agreeing to be a guest on my podcast and sharing some of your experience to the audience listening. Taylor is an associate lawyer at SNJ and Steinbeck after getting called to the bar in June 2023. So it's been less than a year. So welcome. Please share with us anything that you want to share in your opening, but also when and what got you passionate about law? Thanks, Jessica. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I think this is an awesome opportunity. and I'm more than happy to jump in and share some of my perspectives. I will say at the outset, um, as every lawyer will tell you, that nothing that I say is to be construed as legal advice. Um, any opinions that I share are of my own, just for that to be out there. So I got into law from a young age. I was very fortunate to know kind of what area I wanted to go into. My grandparents, when I was younger, bugged me, you know, you're going to go to med school. And I was like, nope, blood, blood scrubs. Nope, don't sign me up for that. I really liked, you know, Judge Judy, Law and Order. So I kind of leaned towards that and took a law course in high school. And after I took that, I was kind of sold. Knew that I wanted to go to law school, knew that I wanted to make a difference in that way. And it really intrigued me in terms of putting together arguments, poking holes in arguments. I do mainly litigation. That's my main area of practice. So that's kind of where the arguments come into place. But um, definitely felt like a job that was good for me in terms of, you know, I would sit and bicker with my parents at the dining room table and we would argue about things and it just kind of all fit together really nicely for me. Amazing. I love that. I love how you knew at such a young age that like, this is what I want to do. I love that. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate. I know, you know, some people don't have as easy as a task to find their place in life, but being in law and especially being able to help clients who may, may not, you know, know their rights or know what they're entitled to, if they have a claim, things like that. That's kind of really where my heart, my passion lies is helping others to do things that they may not know that they can do, right? Totally, totally. That's so empowering, so empowering for you and uh, the work that you do for your clients. And it's interesting for me as a podcaster, because I like one of the things that I talk a lot about is confidence and speaking and sort of like behind the scenes of success. But you're definitely the first lawyer that I've had. So this like to me, this is a really great honor as well. So thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Glad to hear that. So without naming business names, one, we had a, a pre conversation. And this is sort of the story that connected us as you have some experience of working in the service industry in local restaurants while you were working your way through uh, university. And uh, you were introduced to something that I think it was called a walkout fund. So you know, if you would like to jump into that and, and maybe explain a little bit about what that is and just what what happened. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, as a precursor, I spent probably about a decade in the serving industry. Um, served, I started serving in my last year of high school and up until basically the point where I started articling, which happens after law school. But so I worked at a variety of different um, restaurants in it. One of the ones that towards the end of my serving career, I worked there. And, you know, after every single shift, they asked that each server put a dollar into what they called a walkout fund. The fund would be used for, you know, people or customers that would walk out on their bill, essentially. So the restaurant wasn't losing money they could just pull money out of the pocket so every single server every single shift would put a dollar into this fund now me being the legal mind that i am um got really interested in this and was you know what what's the basis behind it i understand the restaurant's policy behind it potentially but whether or not there's any legality behind it so me being i think i was in my second year of law school did a bunch of research um did some research on whether or not wages are considered or sorry rather tips are considered as wages what the rules are around that what you can actually as an employer take out of your employees wages that kind of stuff and um actually found out that wages are te- or tips are considered as wages and um, actually on the Manitoba Employment Standards website it says that any wages from an employee employers can't take to pay out things like a walkout fund or if a customer walks out on their bill. So f- knowing this um, I kind of uh, consulted my company's HR office manager type thing and brought up my concerns and you know a few weeks later suddenly that walkout fund's gone and they obliterated it. Um, So that was kind of my, it wasn't my first instance of knowing that sometimes restaurants and the serving industry doesn't necessarily watch all of the employment standards that are out there, but it was definitely something that was eye-opening for sure. And it's so interesting. And again, like you and I chatted a little bit about this before recording, was that young people like yourself, who was in in you're like all you're trying to do is like make a living you're you're trying to get through law school you're going to work and you encounter these situations that as a young person you don't know and i mean thank goodness i bet your coworkers were like way to go like thanks taylor like giving us a few bucks back but like most people don't know and so I like that you mentioned Manitoba employment standards, because again, people who are entering the workforce, they don't even know about a place like that. So yeah. like, thank goodness for you being there. What what was some of the conversation between some of the coworkers around that time? They were kind of, you know, of the same mindset, you know, and they didn't think that it was fair. Like, why, why are your employees responsible for customers walking out? It's not our fault they walk out. You know, we go to the back, you can't see them and they just take off and go. I was very fortunate when I started out in my serving career. I worked for my mom, actually. I worked for my mom for about five years and she, she knew the management employment standards code. I actually became a manager for her. So her and I would frequently talk about it. And um, I had one day actually a table run out on me while I was working for my mom. And uh, she was like, whatever, it's fine, we'll write it off. So coming from that mentality where it's like, okay, well, we'll just write off the bill or just discount it down versus, you know, oh, we have this walkout fund that employees pay into. That was kind of a very different mindset for me. But yeah, so I'd have conversations with, you know, some of my colleagues saying, you know, this is the experience I have and whatever else. And in those conversations, um, I speak, you know, some hosts and some junior servers that hadn't spent as much time in the restaurant industry. I was finding quite often that there were different employee rates that were being infringed upon. So in Manitoba, for clarification, you can either be governed by the Manitoba Employment Standards Code and the Act, which is a piece of provincial legislation, or you can be governed federally. Federally governed employees don't fall under the Manitoba Employment Standards Code or Act. Those are people like that work for national companies. So like somebody that works for CN is doing train stuff. So 
um, kind of across the country, but typically 90% of employees in Manitoba are covered by Manitoba Employment Standards Code. So knowing that, you know, some of the issues that were coming up were a server would show up or a host would show up for their shift. And it's, you know, let's say it's, I don't know, Remembrance Day in the morning. It's not busy. It's dead. You know, you get to work, your manager says, go home. It's not busy. Well, some people would just take that and not get paid for the day. But uh, the code says, if you if you look at the section, I don't have the section in front of me, but you're supposed to get paid for three hours if you show up. Or let's say, you know, you're an hour and a half into your shift. It's a Tuesday night and it's dead. Your boss says, go home. Well, you showed up for your shift. You're supposed to be paid minimum three hours unless you volunteer to go home. So a lot of that stuff kind of happens behind the scenes. And especially with younger people, that's kind of where most of the serving industry starts. You start young and you kind of work your way into whatever. Kind of like my situation where you use it to project yourself into a different career. But it was very disheartening to kind of see some of that. So I've, I had some frank conversations with some of my colleagues and says, you know, go look at the Manitoba Employment Standards, go call Manitoba Employment Standards branch. They'll they'll offer you some advice, they'll give you some information. And if they find that, you know, an employer is infringing on some of your rights, you can file a claim. Filing a claim here in Manitoba is free. They assist you with all the details for the claim and Manitoba Employment Standards goes in and does an investigation about whatever you've got going on and they provide you with a ruling. So not a lot of people know that either, which is unfortunate, but they definitely have great resources. They've got a massive frequently asked questions section on their website. They've got kind of a breakdown of the legislation that makes it a little bit easier for people to read. There's a lot of resources out there. People just have to kind of know where to go. And unfortunately, I don't think that information is shared as much as it should be. Right, absolutely. So that's a really interesting example as well of showing up for work and boss saying, okay, like go, it's not busy. I don't want to be responsible for all of these wages. So everybody go home, whatever that looks like. So if that was someone that let's say that happened to me five times last month, can I go back? And like, can I go back in time and say to Manitoba Employment Standards, this is what's happened now that I know that that was wrong, like, can someone actually go back and get, I don't know if you'd call it a retro pay or what you would call it? It depends, which is the notorious lawyer um, line for every single lawyer that I've ever met. Um, <laughs> you can go to Manitoba Employment Standards. They're going to do their investigation. What they find out in their investigation will determine whether or not that will apply and whether or not you can claim those wages. I uh, haven't done one myself, but um, I know that you could like, it's worth making a complaint or a claim in any event. So they can go in and investigate and hopefully if anything, it stops the employer from doing it again, going in the future. Right. And so when you said to make a complaint, you would do that through Manitoba employment standards. Yeah. So they've got a section on their website. If you go onto their website, it says make a claim. It gives you all the information about how to make a claim. You can call a claims officer. They'll help you kind of compile the information. If they have any more questions, you send it off to them. They contact the employer and kind of get some background information. They do a full investigation and they come to an conclusion on the claim on whether or not they find that rights have been infringed upon, what kind of remedy that there may be, things like that. But it's all a lot is case by case. Yeah, I imagine that that would be really scary for a lot of people. Like you had your personal investment because you were interested, like you were genuinely interested, like this is happening to me, but I'm also like very interested in sort of the bigger picture of rights, people's rights and stuff like that. So like, what would you say to someone who like, or, or I don't know, maybe it's the best case scenario to someone who is like, yeah, but I'm afraid, like, I don't want to get in trouble at work. 
That's definitely a fear I can imagine, you know, being a lawyer and having, you know, people come in, what question, whether or not they have a claim. It's, it's definitely scary, especially given that, you know, it's, a, it's your employer and you're scared for retribution. They can't discriminate against you because you went and filed a complaint against them with the Employment Standards Code. They can't. So that's a whole other legal action in and of itself, right? You're just trying to enforce your rights and your employer can't get mad at you or discriminate against you because you've done that. You're entitled to do that. And you don't. The nice thing with the Manitoba Employment Standards complaint or claim rather is that you don't need a lawyer. A lot of people think that you do. You don't. Their Manitoba Employment Standards branches, they are to help the public and not, you know, incur crazy legal fees because that in and of itself can add up really, really fast when you're just trying to deal with something related to your employment. That's access to justice is a whole other topic. But um, one thing that the province does offer is is help in that sense, too. But it's a tough situation because, you know, you're faced with, well, do I do keep experiencing this discrimination or do I file a claim? I don't know what my options are. They are very good to branches. If Even if you call in with a question, and looking for clarification, most times they'll connect you to a claims officer that you can discuss your question with in private. You know, I had a question relating to <clears throat> some outside training that I did outside of my workplace. I had to do some virtual training and I was like, well, spending a few hours doing this, should I be getting paid for this? You know, it's not like I want to do this out of my free will. So I called and had a conversation with them. They didn't, you know, speak to my employer or anything like that, but they were able to answer my questions on the phone. So even if, you know, an individual has questions about something going on in their employment, maybe they don't want to make the claim yet, but they can still call in and get some clarification. Yeah, I think that's really great. I mean, it's, I really appreciate you sharing that because again, like I think about, well, I mean, not just young people, but young people in particular, whether or not you are maybe going to stay at the job, maybe you're not going to stay at the job. I could still see it being helpful in making that phone call to ask the question so that you know better going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Is there, I mean, you've mentioned like three really valid reasons why, why it's important to know about your employment standards, about your rights as a worker. Is there anything else that's like really a common thing that happens that you just, you know, want to spread awareness about or anything like that? Um, the other thing that kind of comes to mind that kind of ties into all of it is I don't remember the specific time. I don't have the legislation in front of me, but um, after a certain period of time too, if you're at, you know, your place of work and you don't have a way home, let's say you take the bus to work, they have to provide you with some sort of transportation home in terms of like safety, right? You know, I've worked at bars until two, three in the morning when they close and I luckily have a vehicle to get me to and from. Somebody that's taken the bus at 2 a.m. I don't even think, I don't know if city of Winnipeg buses run that late. Right. But there's there's some information and some provisions in there about that, too. So that's kind of something else that I've seen and had some mm-hmm. chats about, too. Yeah, amazing. No, I just I think it's really great that that's something that you're passionate about because it's conversations like this and because of work that you've done that really help get the word out. And I mean, I really hope that Manitoba Employment Standards would, will, would also, you know, almost step up and let people know about the fact that they're there. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. I've ever called them. I mean, I'm self-employed now. I don't need to. But I just think about all of the people who have so many questions about, like, is this allowed? And they just continue Mm -hmm. going to work because you you feel like you're in a situation where you have to be thankful that someone has given you a job kind of thing. 
Oh, absolutely. Especially in, you know, the political climate and with interest rates right now, you just, you're happy to have a job. But just because that's that doesn't mean that your rights can get discriminated against as an employee either, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now regarding your own experience as a lawyer, you've been there for less than a year. What has that been like for you? And like, when you think about like women in law, what comes to mind for you? What are you excited about? There's, there's lots about, you know, women in law uh, and a variety of different things. When I was in law school, uh, a lot of what they talked about was the imposter syndrome. You know, you're, I, like for me, I'm a young, uh, visible minority female, and I'm out doing these things that are very scary in practice. Like I going, I was in court today, and even I had to hype myself up going into court. You know, you know this file, you know what you're talking about, you know, you know what you're doing. But it's always that little, that little thought in the back of your brain where it's like, you don't know what you're doing. You're not qualified to do this. Meanwhile, I think, and I'm like, I've been practicing the legal profession for almost, it'll be six years. I was a legal system before I went to law school. So I got exposure to the legal system beforehand. But, you know, for a long time, law was ruled by men, unfortunately. And that's kind of where the system was. Now, more often than not, we're seeing that there are a lot more females that are involved in the legal community. Um, And I think when I was at school, over 50% of my class was female. Oh, wow. Non-male identifying. Um, But it's nice to see, you know, you're seeing female partners and they're not the exception. That's more becoming the norm. And that's really empowering to see. You're seeing women in positions of power. You're seeing, you know, people with even law degrees that aren't lawyers that are females that are going on to do other things. It's, It's nice that we're finally being able to be in the profession. But with that being said, I still think that there's a lot to go still to come to a place where we're just as equal as men are. And and that goes for the non-male identifying folks as well. While I was at Robson Hall, which is the law school here in Manitoba, I was part of a student group called the Feminist Legal Forum. And we tried to bring light to a lot of the issues that women and non-male identifying folks face in the legal profession. And that was some frank conversations as well that I've had. I've had it with people that aren't not only females, but non identifying folks as well because they have just as a tough time if not tougher in the legal system and getting involved right um within the last i think year year and a half or so we've seen the court introduce pronouns into court so now whenever you introduce yourself you provide your pronouns to the court so the court can properly identify you so that was a big jump that manitoba took i believe they followed off of the bc model that started that but you know we're getting there but it's still going to take a little bit until i think that we get to the point of you know, a woman is just as equal in everybody's eyes to do their job. Right. Wow. That's really incredible. And I'm really excited to hear that from your perspective and your experience and to hear the number of women or female identifying students that were in your class. That's, that's really incredible. One of the things that I like to focus on because my coaching is focused on, um, on speakers and getting mostly women on stage. It I did some uh, a little bit of like just kind of Google research a f- few months ago, and it said like I was asking how many women speakers versus men speakers is there on big stages, like you know what is that number that's out there, and the number was seventy percent of speakers are men, and I'm also involved with the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, and we have a group called Code can't remember what it stands for right now. And um, one of the things that we're supporting for a a national goal is 
the, I can't remember what they were calling it. Canada's 50-30. So we want to increase women on boards up to 50% from where it's from and women in mm-hmm. leadership in organizations or corporations, maybe from where it is to 30%. And so when I think about the number of women speakers, if it's 30%, how do we bring some more balance into that? And so that's mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I specifically coach women entrepreneurs to speak on stage. So it's really interesting to also see like that version, what that looks like for you supporting that call out for more women in law. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's definitely, you know, like I said earlier, it's been a, it's been a man run sport. If you want to call it that for a very long time. And there are definitely some things that still need some work. Like I've, I haven't experienced this, but I've heard of it. And I've heard of the theoretical situation where you have, you know, let's say a male junior and a female junior that are the same call year that are working in private practice. They're working at a firm. Let's say the female takes two maternity leaves because she has two kids along the way, you know, but she still works really hard. She gets her Available. She meets all the goals that, you know, her, her firm is setting for her. But because she's taken two mat leave terms, technically the male junior has more experience than her because she's been gone for two years. So he will most likely make it as a partner before she will. Like I said, very, very hypothetical, theoretical situation, but I've, I've definitely heard about it. And that's one thing, like, why should we as females be punished because we take maternity leave because we have children, right? Like that's, like I said, there, there's a long way to go. But we're definitely all on the right track. It's just a matter of pushing forward. I went to a networking event last last month, I think, out here in Steinbeck with some female entrepreneurs in the area. And uh, they had a motivational speaker there. And she made a comment about how, you know, we haven't been, now that we're invited to these tables to have a conversation, sometimes, you know, our seat is just kind of a placeholder. We need a female here. We need something here. Mm -hmm. Whereas I've heard other people say, no, I want to make my own table. I don't want to go to the old table. I don't want to go to the old old school thought, the old school ideas that are there. I want to create my new table where there's inclusion. You know, we support maternity leave that doesn't discriminate against us. It doesn't hinder us in any event because we want to have children while we're in our careers, right? So there's there is a long way to go, I think, but we're definitely we're working there. But law is slower than molasses, I think, most days. So <laughs> it'll take us a little bit to get there for sure. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. So is there anything else that you think that you would like to bring your voice to with regards to women in law and the work that you're doing? I think if I could provide anything, any piece of wisdom, it's just as scary as it may sound, you got to do it. You just have to do it and you have to continue to do it over and over again until it becomes a part of you. Like me being in court today, I looked around and all the other lawyers were there that were, they were all male. They're all older and male. But here I am, a young female going out and trying to advocate for my clients. And I want to be able to provide that voice. And if if you want to be an advocate, you want to be able to help your clients, you have to put yourself out there. As uncomfortable as it may be for you, you have to do it. And that's, that's tough in and of itself. But if you're really passionate about it, and you want to make a change and be an advocate, that's, that's the way to do it. And you know, you find some good mentors, you find some really good people by your side, and just go from there and try and grow from there and make the best out of it. Yeah, that's really great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think, again, for younger people, or just women of color, or people who feel intimidated by the justice system as it is, might be afraid to call one of these male lawyers that are, you know, tall, maybe a little 
intimidating, really tall, really professional. I think there are definitely people who are looking for people who look like you that just, you know, I, I, she, I feel like I can talk to her. I feel like this is someone that's approachable. I feel like it's something that I'm not used to and I'm, and I'm open to that. And so I think that's another really great reason why that I'm just, I'm pleased to know that you're out there doing what you do and, you know, creating that presence, filling that void of what we need out there. Absolutely. Like, so I'm, I'm half Filipino and, and being out in Steinbach, there's a growing Filipino population. So I've had clients come in and I tell them I'm Filipino and they love it. You know, it's um, you, we identify with what we know. We identify with things that we know and, you know, having Filipino clients they're they're great. You know, they're, they've, I've had clients tell me you're empowering, you're, you're great at what you do. But a lot of it is sometimes you have to be your own advocate. I've had conversations with some senior female practitioners uh, that practice in a variety of areas and you say, you know, you Sometimes you have to stand up for yourself. You have to take that hard position against a partner. You have to take, you know, a really hard position against opposing counsel on something. And they may, you know, discredit you or look down on you because you're young and you're female. But you got to take those hard positions because otherwise people are just going to walk all over you. Especially profession and litigation. You have to be able to kind of stand up for yourself to an extent. And, and you know. Yeah. Well, I wish you all of the best and all of the success in all of your career. I mean, you're just coming up to a year and I'm sure you have so many places that you're going to go and and just do amazing things. So what is the reason if any listeners think that they need to reach out to you? What would the their reasons be and what type of areas do you cover? So I, my main area of practice is civil litigation. I'm just getting started, but like I said, I really like being in the courtroom. I like putting together arguments, things like that, and being able to help clients who may not be able to do so. The ju- like you mentioned earlier, the justice system, the court system, it's all very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Even for me, for somebody that's been around for six years, you know, there are a lot of things where I'll go to one of my mentors and say, is this right? Am I seeing this right? Or what do I do? It's all very intimidating. So you know, if, if anybody needs assistance in that section, they can kind of reach out. I do a little bit of real estate law and some wills and estates. That stuff's the boring stuff. But I mean, it, it makes the days go by a little faster. And like even anybody that's semi-interested in law school, interested in kind of what my journey has looked like, what it's like to be a female in law, I'm more than happy to spend some time and share that information. I've sat down, you know, with younger law students than I have, a few people that are looking to go to law school, and we've had some frank conversations. But the legal community and the legal bar in Manitoba is very small. You know, you always know somebody or somebody knows somebody that knows you. So having those connections and having those discussions with people of the bar and people that are in the middle of the legal profession are definitely beneficial. I know I have a variety of mentors that I go to that I don't even work with anymore, but I'll send, you know, my one mentor a text and say, hey, do you have some time to talk? So we'll have a phone call or we'll sit down and talk about it. And that's really helpful for me. So given the mentorship that I've been given to date and that I'll continue to receive, I want to be that same person for a other people you know you have a question you want to talk something out absolutely more than happy to give you half hour an hour whatever you need of my time if that is going to help you in some sense that's incredible that's so incredible thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared today thank you for your commitment to your work and for sharing it with me on the podcast today yeah absolutely thank you so much for having me this has been great 
Thanks so much for being here and listening to the podcast. Miigwech, ekose, merci. I want to take every opportunity that I can to tell you that you are worthy. And if something in this message resonated with you, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And send a link to your sister, your best friends, and your cousins, because if there was something in this message that resonated, then they might want to hear about it too. If maybe taking a screenshot is your thing, share it on your Instagram story. And don't forget to take me at jesskadumas.ca. 